0: folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Friday, January the 29th, 2021. Meaning, tick-tock, tick-tock, it's time for another warning about that. The next time that we speak to each other, it will be February the 1st, and just like that, the first month of 2021. January's gone like a fart in the wind and like i said tiktok the clock ticks for us all remember life is a sliding scale you don't get to, you don't get to have a choice in this you are either advancing your freedom and liberty in every way or every way possible that has to do with your place in life your income your savings your preparedness everything that goes into your freedom you're either advancing it or life moves you backwards those are your only two choices choose wisely on that, we have a great episode today from the Expert Council. Nick Ferguson is returning uh, to the Expert Council to answer your questions. He's got a segment today, uh, and he's got some great announcements. We'll have him on the lead member of the council today. Then Sean Mills will talk about choosing a log splitter for semi-commercial use. That's the way I'm terming it anyway. Doc Bones is going to talk about dealing with anemia. We have a grab bag of tool questions from Tim, the tool man cook. We have, uh, from John Pugliano, kind of a mixed bag here. we got got uh, PPP Round 2. And we've got uh, family sick leave, tax credits, and more. John will handle all of that for us. Ben Falk talks about looking at tractors for the 5-acre homestead and similar-sized homesteads. And then my segment today is going to be, I am going to speak to you from the past. How long ago? 2012. In 2012, I did a video called... W-R-O-L or E-R-O-L? Which one is more likely? It was in response to a YouTuber, I, I don't know if he's still around or not, by the name of Main Prepper. It was pretty pop- popular at the time. And it was how all the Preppers were going to die in the without rule of law future that we faced with absolute certainty. And I responded that you would not see a without rule of law future. You might see pockets of it. And I pointed out he had some very good points in his video. But the real danger, the thing coming to us, was something I called E-R-O-L, which I think has been kind of uh, become a thing. People talk about it that way now. They use that an acronym, I uh, I don't think anybody used that an acronym up until I did that. And when I did this video, folks, it caused what we we, we we didn't have a term for it, I think, yet at the time. But we call it today a re-stream. re re of telling me what a dumbass I was and how I didn't know what I was talking about, and it, the economy was just going to collapse, and it would be like you know James Wesley Walls' novels or whatever. And uh, it's okay, we'll see. When you listen to this video and you look out at the world that you're living in today, and the increasing tyranny that they've built around this bullshit pandemic at this point, you know, I was thinking today. I don't know if there's ever been a pandemic in the history of humanity where they needed a 24-7 marketing campaign to remind you that it was happening. And if you look at what's going on today, when you listen to this message from 2012, what is that, uh, eight, nine years ago now? It will shock you. That's what we'll be wrapping up with today. With that, before we get Nick Ferguson on to talk to us about some really cool stuff, let's start out with a quote of the day. Um, I wasn't sure what to use for this show. So I went by Brainy quote and I just looked at some of their recent quotes that they've used. And I I'd recently used uh, this gentleman's quote uh, in one of my videos. This is a different quote, same guy, Meister Eckert. He said one time If the only prayer you ever say in your entire life is thank you, it will be enough. Man, I read that and what that is today's that is today's quote. I want to talk to you a little bit about this from a standpoint of being someone who is uh I guess religiously classified mostly as a deist. I believe there is some higher power, some thing that we would call God in our limited human understanding. And I don't believe that God that I believe in. I don't whatever you believe is fine. I'm not trying to convince you of anything here. I don't believe that God, whatever God is, I personally do not believe that that God responds to prayer, that if I pray for a thing to happen it will. Even if I pray for a thing that I control like help me accept this thing. I don't believe that God will have any influence on that. I think the prayer might, because when we pray and we internally meditate, we take control of that which we can control ourselves. But I don't think it matters what you believe. I think if you don't believe in God at all, if you call yourself an atheist, this has value. I think if you're like me, or some version thereof, a pantheist, a panantheist, anybody that says, there's something, I don't know exactly what, and here's how I think it works, but I know I don't know then I think this is valid. And I think if you follow any of the revealed religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, I don't care. I think this actually applies. It's universal. That's why I love it. Because I think there is a value in gratitude that we have forgotten. You know, when all of this crap started with the pandemic, what started to go around was the concept that Americans have forgotten how to suffer and how to learn from our suffering. I think there's a validity in that, too. But I think the bigger thing that we have forgotten is how to have and express gratitude for everything that we have. People that have it at what you would consider some of the worst conditions relative to others in America today have it a lot better than people not so long ago. And have it a lot better than a lot of people in a lot of parts of the world. And no matter where you are, no matter what you're dealing with, there's probably something that you can have gratitude for. To express gratitude in prayer, whatever that means to you, to me, reinforces within you that which you have to be grateful for. And I've always found it interesting how much people pray for things they want, bless mommy and bless daddy, or let this thing happen, or let this thing become, versus how often we express pure gratitude for what we have. When I was a little kid growing up as a Catholic, going to Catholic school, we always said grace before a meal in school. They made you say it. We recited it to the point of a mantra, to the point where it meant nothing anymore. Because you were just saying words. Everybody said the same words the same way, like a chant. And because of that, when I left religion, I forgot this lesson for a while. But along the way, and it was nature that brought me back to it, standing in the woods on a cool morning, watching an animal that had no idea was there just live its life, and think, God, this is beautiful. This is amazing. And then finally the words speak from within you. Thank you. If the only prayer you ever say in your entire life is thank you, it will be enough, Meister Eckert. With that, I am grateful, really grateful, that Nick Ferguson has now carved out in his lifetime to come back to the Expert Council. I'm grateful that he will be teaching on March 24 to 28 at the Survival Podcast Spring Workshop here at Nine Mile Farm. And I'm grateful that he's with us today to talk about trellis plants over rabbits and more. With that, Nick... How's it going and what's been going on on the Ferguson homestead?
1: Hey there, TSP listeners. Nick Ferguson is here back from another hiatus to give you a little taste of homegrown liberty. So happy to be back on the Fantastic Survival Podcast. I've missed answering your questions and helping out the TSP family that has helped me out so much over the years. This one is from someone who contacted me through MeWe. She couldn't wait for me to get back on the show, so she tracked me down and asked anyways. But please send all your questions for me to Jack or ask at the Homegrown Liberty Group over on MeWe. Okay, and before I get to the question, as you can probably imagine being gone so long, I have a couple announcements for you guys. Yes, I'm alive. Yes, I've been all over the USA a couple times, actually. On consulting tours, catching up with the backlog of people asking for consulting, 2020 has been quite a busy year. Lots of people are a little worried about their their preps and their ability to be self-sufficient on their homesteads, and, you know, I kind of help people with that. So I've been busy with that. I'm mostly caught up. I have a couple designs still in the process of finishing up and a few big installs to do this winter and spring, but... I will be around, and I'm going on another tour here soon, mostly through Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. So if you're around those states or adjoining, quickly send me an email if you've been wanting to get on one of those consulting tours. I always chop the consulting fee pretty much in half when I'm on a tour because it's efficient and helps me schedule things better. I can only be in so many places at the same time, you know? I mean... So, number one, consulting tour coming up around the middle of March. Early Bird gets the consult. Number two, I'm going to be teaching at Jack's for the spring workshop. I just got off the phone with him last night, and we're both pretty pumped with the designs he's putting in the spring. So I thought I'd use one of those designs kind of as a jumping-off point to teach attendees how to expand something like that into a more productive and robust fodder production system for herbivores. So when you're talking about self-sufficiency, like I talk about all the time with all of my clients, I design with the worst case scenario in mind so that the system works if times get tough or even if they don't. And, you know, if times get tough, how are you going to feed your animals if you can't afford to go to the feed store? Or if there's no feed at the feed store, what are you going to do? Well, with the tree fodder system, you don't ever need to spend a dollar on commercial feed again. How's that for self-sufficiency? And last but not least, I have some really cool things coming up that aren't really ready to be made public, but I'll tease you with this one. I made a tool that puts custom remineralization and fertility of your garden soil in the reach of everybody. We're talking high-level agronomy stuff that costs thousands of dollars for a recommendation into your hands for next to nothing in cost. I haven't honestly, I really, guys, I have not been this excited about something in a long, long time. There's not many people I know who would understand or care about nerding out on soil as much as I do, and this is huge. Like I've been kind of, uh, I've been really excited about this. Oh shoot, I almost forgot. Uh, plant sale is on. People are already reserving their tree packages, and they're going fast. Head over to rareplantstore.com to reserve your tree packages for spring delivery. We've got a fodder tree package. It's simple but powerful. It's my top three fodder tree picks. We have a beneficials kind of flowering and fruiting package that's mostly for attracting wildlife and um, pollinators. And I have a fantastic nut tree package it's got chestnuts hazelnuts and walnuts it's fantastic if you're wanting to get some trees planted to produce nuts this is a really good one so to recap consulting tour coming up number one email me with consulting in the subject line if you're interested nick at homegrownliberty.com number two I'm teaching at Jack's spring workshop way fewer seats for this one and it's going to be epic so have your finger hovering on the mouse button to buy your seat Number three, pay attention because when I announce this upcoming stuff, you're going to want to get in on it quick. And, of course, the yearly rareplantstore.com tree sale is on right now as we speak. Now for the question from Carmen. She said, can I ask you a rabbit question? Jack Spearco? says, you're the expert. I raise rabbits. I have rabbit hutches in my backyard. And I have cattle panels arched over them. I'm wanting a recommendation of a vining plant that could grow over the arch and provide shade but also be edible for rabbit food to supplement. Any suggestions? To which, of course, I replied, I do. Now, let me be clear on this. I'm about to say something a bit drastic and some would say heretical and dangerous, but I'm a rebel, so I do what I want. My first suggestion (laughs) is kudzu. (laughs) Yep, you heard me right. Uh, The vine that ate the south. What in the world am I thinking? Well, you know, it makes high-protein leaves and vines. The tender leaves and shoots are quite tasty. They're actually human edible, just so you know. And they're readily eaten by rabbits. They love them. So, high-protein, tasty. They grow like frickin' kudzu. Sounds like a real winner to me. Um, I will say this, though. You will want to plant them in a large tub or a pot or something with some drainage holes. But put that inside another tub or on top of something that has some kind of a thick barrier blocking any exiting roots from getting into your soil because they will run underground and can start popping up all over the place and depending on its location it could be a problem so i would whatever kind of pot you put it in make sure that's in another kind of a vessel so if roots exit, you can chop them off and get rid of them. If you do that, it should be relatively easy to keep it in check with almost no danger of it getting out of hand. Um, It'll grow 12 inches to 36 inches in a night. So the rabbits might even be able to self-harvest some of the vines and shoots as they climb into the cage. Self-feeding vines is pretty cool in my book. The rest are you know, like a quick snap or slice with a knife or pruning shears. Just Hang your tool by the rabbit cage out of the rain. It takes 30 seconds to harvest fresh greens for your rabbits every time you're out there. And toss some you know, rabbit manure to the roots of your kudzu vine every year. And I can't think of much better answer than that. But, you know, if you're somewhere where you can't get it, uh, or you're too scared of the big green monster to the south, then plant pole beans. You'll have to wait longer for them to cover the structure, but they'll happily grow there. The rabbits will happily eat the leaves, vines and pods. No need for an extra pot. In pot kind of Azkaban prison. Just plant them in the ground. Food for you and the rabbits too. Well that's all I have. Um, Again remember to uh, shoot me an email if you're interested in consulting. Nick at HomegrownLiberty.com Sign up for the spring workshop It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. And um, stay tuned. I've got some up- upcoming stuff to announce. And of course, head over to the rareplantstore.com tree sale. I want you to get your fodder trees before they're all gone. I'm expecting to sell out pretty dang quick this year, too. Alrighty. That's all I have. This has been Nick Ferguson with Homegrown Liberty and RarePlantstore.com. Do good things.
0: So just so you guys know, I have a post up today um, with a lot of the stuff Nick talked about in it. Um, the link to where you can get the plants that he has available, which are selling out. I think he has a few of one of the packages, a bunch of the other, and like 35 of the second. Um, there's some pretty interesting stuff that he has available. I've reserved some for myself. I didn't reserve the nut trees, and the reason I didn't is because of, uh, well... You plant a hazelnut or something like that on this property here. You might as well just set the tree on fire. It would be a uh, a more fitting death and a more uh, merciful death to a tree. I don't believe we should make trees suffer. So my my land is not right for those. But if yours are, you might want to pick some of those up along with the other stuff. A butterfly bush that's in one of the packages is an amazing plant to have around. Um, next up, uh, I do have a, a post out that went up last night. It will be in today's mail and all of that. It's been out on social media for a while now about the workshop itself. And I will try to do a video this weekend walking through the two projects. We're probably going to do both of them. Since I put that post out where I said we might do one or we might do the other, I've gone over the plan with Nick, and I've also gone over the plan with my buddy JR, and I've talked to them both, and I'm going to have them both here for quite a few days prior to the event. I think we can get enough of the groundwork done to where we're kind of completing them rather than starting them. From the beginning and due to that, I think we'll be able to do both of them and it's going to be an amazing workshop. Tickets will go on sale Saturday next weekend and if you are not ready to go and I'm going to be putting the link on the Telegram channel, that's how I'm going to do it. If you are not up awake at 9 a.m. Central Time on that Saturday and you do not click that link almost immediately, I can almost guarantee you, you are not going to get a ticket. Because last time we had 65 registrations and we sold out in 10 minutes. Because people want to go out and do stuff right now, right? Uh, we are going to have a mass gathering, whether they like it or not. Um, this time, since it's a spring one, I only take 30 people in the spring. We can't do the same size workshop twice a year. We just can't. Dorothy and I, we we simply do not have the energy that it takes to do two of those a year. So we do a much smaller one uh, in the spring. So just you know, kind mm-hmm. of put that. Feather in your cap, mark it on your calendar, whatever. With that, let's go ahead and talk about a, another really interesting question here. I was like, I don't, I don't know. Um, it was a question about a log splitter, and specifically something for some semi-commercial level use, uh, significant use. I personally have a, a simple little manual one from Harbor Freight, which I love, um, but we just don't use it that much, so it's not that big of a deal. This is a much heavier use, so I, I sent it to Derek Bon Pietro, and he's like, oh. So I was like, huh wonder who would know about this. And I'm like, Sean Mills. Turns out Sean can help us out with this question. Sean, take it away.
2: Hey, guys. This is Sean Mills with Hack My Solar. And I've got a little bit of a different question today. Uh, This question is from Dennis Allen, City Boy Homesteader. And uh, he wants to know about log splitters. So... Uh, here's this question. Not sure what expert council mem- member could help me with this one. Any advice on buying a wood splitter, what to look for, and what brands? Backstory. I'm now heating my old Airstream with wood and also selling firewood to the seven campsites I have on my land via he- hip camp. I can sell about a cord a month during peak season and use about two cords a year myself. It sells for 50 cents a log, so I bring in about $350 a cord. There's a lot of dying ash trees on my homestead, and I have about 11 acres of woodland in central PA. If anyone would like to see my campsites, check out DennisAllen.com slash camping. And that's D-E-N-N-I-S-A-L-A-N dot com slash camping. Well Dennis, hey, good question. Ben Falk did recently cover some details of splitting wood, uh, getting ready for winter, Uh, but I'll answer your specific question. First, on picking the size. Um, You kind of need to understand what you're going to be splitting to know how much force you need. That's really the size uh, math. And so, you know, if you're talking about six inch um, coppice wood or branches that's seasoned, a four ton uh, log splitter, is going to take care of that you know you go up to 12 inches of seasoned wood a seven ton log splitter will work fine if it's 12 inches of green wood uh, green woods tougher to split you're going to need about 16 tons of force uh, for a 24 inch seasoned log you're going to need 20 tons uh, and a 24 inch green log you're going to need you know 30 tons plus um, so I would definitely suggest that you look to, uh, cut your wood, stack it, season it, and then, um, you know, the next year come back and actually split it and, and restack it, uh, because you can actually save some money on, uh, your log splitter doing it that way. Um, 26 ton is kind of the biggest gas powered, um, you know, that I would go with, I mean, I've used a 32 ton gas powered before. One of the things you want to make sure you can get is if you're going to be splitting big logs is you want to get something that you can rotate into the vertical position uh, so that you can split those big logs on the ground versus having to lift a 24 inch, you know, 16 inch long log up and set it on top of the uh the rail to split. So, uh, those are the things I would look for if i 'm going to buy, but i 'll be honest, I would not buy a log splitter. I would rent a log splitter, or I would find someone else in the area that has a log splitter and give them half of what you 're going to pay the rental company to rent one um, because the reality is uh you know a good twenty six or so ton log splitter is going to run you fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars brand new. You can rent that bad boy for a hundred bucks a day, or three hundred dollars a week, you know, from a Sunbelt Rentals or United Rentals type uh, organization. If you do that, one hundred percent of your rental cost, plus obviously your fuel, your mileage to pick it up, tow it to the house, take it back, and come back uh, from dropping it off, is all a deductible um, because you're selling the wood. You know, even if not all of that campsite wood money goes onto the books, you know what I mean? Or, or if the ugly pieces that are a little bit naughty, that, you know, they get taken and burnt in your personal wood stove instead of sold, if you know what I'm saying, I still think 100% of those costs could be, uh, written off as part of your hip camp income um and that's really the way i would go i would i would go i i don't i would not want to you know you're talking about maybe let's call it 10 cords of wood a year right you can split four cords of wood a day with this machine if all your wood's in the same spot and more if you've got a helper if you got someone that can help you get them up and and then clear out uh as you're splitting you know, you can cut, and I've used them before, you can definitely cut more than four, uh, you know, split more than four cords of wood in a long day, right? So, you bring this thing in for a week, you know, each day you tow it to a different area and split a bunch of wood, take it back, you're out 300 bucks plus fuel, uh, 100% of that is deductible against your hip camp income, and, um, and then you're getting your, your wood for the house for free. So, that's how I'd go about it, um, you know, If you're using this thing a week, a year, then you got 51 weeks of making sure that your court, that your hydraulic hoses don't get, uh, dry rotted and that your tires are in good condition and that your, um, your, your trailer lugs are working fine. You know what I mean? I I would get it in, do the work, take it back, expense 100% of that cost, let someone else handle the maintenance and, and keeping that thing up for the whole year. Um, So anyways, so that's my advice. I hope that helped you out. Again, if you want to buy one, it really depends on the size of uh, of logs you're splitting and whether you're splitting them seasoned or green. Well, guys, keep getting the questions in, and we'll keep getting them answered. Again, this is Sean from HackMySolar.com.
0: Next up, I have got a question for uh, Joel Alton, MD, also known as
3: Old Doc Bones, on anemia. Joe, what's going on, man? Hi, Joe Alton, M.D. here, also known as Dr. Bones of the survival medicine website, doomandbloom.net, with over 1,300 articles, podcasts, and videos on medical preparedness. Together with my wife, Amy Alton, an advanced registered nurse practitioner, we're the authors of The Survival Medicine Handbook, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, and Alton's Pandemic Preparedness Guide, plus designers of an entire line of medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. This week's question for the expert counsel is from Don, who writes, A family member of mine is anemic. She doesn't think iron supplements help her much. Can you recommend some actions we can take to help her condition? Details. My wife has an iron deficiency. During her prior two pregnancies, the doctor has prescribed heavy iron supplements, even requiring iron infusions on her first child. She is usually feeling cold and tired when trying to keep up with our young children. Iron supplements do seem to help long-term, but cause her a lot of stomach discomfort. What can we do for her? Any suggestions? Thanks for your input over the years. Oh, well, thank you, Don. Don, anemia is a condition where you lack enough healthy red blood cells in your circulation. Red blood cells are what make your blood, well, red, and their job is to carry oxygen to your body tissues and carbon dioxide out. If you don't have enough, it can cause major effects on your health. Anemia happens for different reasons. You might not be making enough red blood cells. You might have bleeding that depletes them faster than they're produced. Or you may have a condition that destroys them or shortens their lifespan. The average red blood cell lasts 115 to 120 days. Depending on the cause, signs and symptoms may vary. If your case is mild, you've had it for a while, your body may have accommodated to an extent, you might not even notice it. Signs and symptoms, if they do occur, might include fatigue, weakness, pale skin, cold hands and feet, and worse cases can cause much worse problems like fast heartbeats, irregular heartbeats, shortness of breath, dizziness, lightheadedness, chest pain, all sorts of stuff. Your wife has an iron deficiency you mentioned. Iron deficiency anemia is indeed the most common cause and is usually treated with supplements like she's taking. Your bone marrow needs iron to make a protein called hemoglobin, the main ingredient in red blood cells. It's seen in a lot of women who are pregnant or who were recently Women who have heavy periods will also possibly have iron deficiency anemia. Don, I'm assuming your wife is a young woman since you have young children, but I don't know her hemoglobin level. Doctors usually want men to have a higher than 13.5 gram hemoglobin level, and women, they want them to be above 12. Other problems besides iron deficiency, however, can cause anemia. There are vitamin deficiencies. Besides iron, your body needs folate and vitamin B12 to produce enough healthy red blood cells. A diet lacking in these and other key nutrients like vitamin C can cause decreased red blood cell production. Some people get enough B12 but can't absorb it, causing a type of anemia called pernicious anemia, and requiring special injections of the vitamin. Anemia can be related to inflammation. Certain diseases such as cancer, HIV, AIDS, rheumatoid arthritis, kidney disease, Crohn's disease, and other chronic or acute inflammatory diseases can interfere with red blood cell production. There's a whole workup for anemia that your doctor can do to rule out these other medical conditions if the anemia worsens over time. There are also anemias that are known as hemolytic anemias. They develop when red blood cells are destroyed faster than bone marrow can replace them. You can inherit a hemolytic anemia, or you can develop it later in life. Sickle cell anemia, also known as sick as hell anemia, is a hemolytic anemia. It's caused by a defective form of hemoglobin that forces red blood cells to assume a sickle shape instead of the normal disc. These irregular blood cells die prematurely, resulting in a chronic shortage, therefore anemia. Hemolytic anemias can be caused by certain drugs as well. They can cause the immune system to mistake your own blood cells for foreign substances. The body responds by making antibodies to attack them. Be sure your doctor knows if your wife takes any of these medicines. Certain antibiotics like Keflex, Leviquin, Penicillins, also Macrodantin, or Peridium. These uh, last two are used for bladder infections. Also implicated are medicines like Levodopa for Parkinson's, Dapsone for skin disease, Quinidine for irregular heartbeats, and Methyldopa for high blood pressure. Aspirin, ibuprofen, and other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs may also be the cause of a hemolytic anemia. If your wife is on any of these, make sure she discusses it with her doctor. It doesn't surprise me that iron supplementation is causing your wife's stomach issues. It happens to most everyone on high amounts of iron. She probably also experiences dark stools. That's normal for someone on iron, but also constipation, nausea, and cramps. That takes a lot out of a person. I'm not surprised that along with the anemia itself, your wife is fatigued. Make sure that you help her out as much as you possibly can. The bottom line is, your wife is on the standard therapy for the most common type of anemia, but more evaluation should be done to rule out other causes, like vitamin deficiencies, medical conditions, or drugs that can drop the hemoglobin level. Diet is important as well. Eating a diet high in meats, especially red meats, may help. Non-meat iron sources include spinach and other dark green leafy vegetables, tofu, peas, lentils, baked beans, soybeans, chickpeas, dried fruits such as prunes, raisins, and apricots, and iron-fortified cereals and breads. Good sources of vitamin B12 include breakfast cereals or other foods that are also fortified with added B12, meats such as beef, liver, poultry, and fish, eggs and dairy products such as milk, yogurt, and cheese. Vitamin B12 shots can help those who don't absorb it well. may well be worth a try in your wife's case. For folic acid... Good sources include bread, pasta, and rice with added folic acid, spinach and other dark green leafy vegetables, black-eyed peas, dried beans, beef liver, eggs, bananas, oranges, orange juice, other fruits and juices, and, of course, vitamin C. Since vitamin C helps the body absorb iron, you want to have that. Good sources of vitamin C are vegetables and fruits, especially citrus fruits like oranges, grapefruits, and tangerines. Fresh and frozen fruits... Vegetables and juices usually have more vitamin C than canned ones. Vegetables that are rich in vitamin C include broccoli, peppers, Brussels sprouts, tomatoes, cabbage, potatoes, and leafy green vegetables like turnip greens and spinach. Here's hoping your wife is feeling better soon. This is Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health and good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, please consider supporting our mission by getting some of the quality medical kits, individual supplies, and personal protection gear available at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. Also join our new Miwi group called Survival Medicine. Thanks. Next up, I
0: have a kind of grab bag of tool questions from Tim the Toolman Cook.
4: Hey guys, Toolman Tim coming back to you from my workshop where we build business, create community, find freedom, and share success. I hope everyone had a good Christmas break and you're fired up for the great things you can do in the next 12 months, that is 2021. I got a grab bag of tool-related questions for the expert council this week, so let's dig right in. The first one comes from Tactical Redneck over on MeWe. And his question is, if you're doing a lot of work with larger PVC pipe, four inches about the max I'll be cutting, and you wanted to get a miter saw to get clean straight cuts, what would you get and what blade would you put on it? Don't seem to make a whole lot of sense to go with the Walt for this, he says, but if I'm cutting a lot of PVC and a pair of cutters is $50, but I can pick up a saw for, say, 100 well, what do you think? So if you want to cut 4-inch pipe in one pass, you're going to need a 12-inch chop saw, which you probably already know. But they're quite expensive, so if you want to go with something a little bit cheaper, uh, you can go with a 10-inch and just flip the 4-inch over and finish the cut on the other side. It'll give you a nice straight cut. But since all the other smaller sizes will cut easily with the 10 inch, I'd say you're probably okay with that. I've cut PVC personally with just about any blade that I had on the saw, but the best one for cutting without burrs by far is a plywood blade. The more steel teeth you have, the non-carbide teeth, the cleaner the cut you'll get without burrs. So I did some looking. Harbor Freight and Amazon both have an entry level 10 inch chop saw, not sliding or anything like that for around 100 bucks. I don't have any experience with either of those brands, but if you're looking for the absolute cheapest option to start with, I'll send these links in for the description. Uh, The least expensive brand I found on Amazon that I do have experience with is around 150 bucks for the Hitachi, and you know, their quality is pretty decent. And even though that, yes, I am a DeWalt man, as you know, I might have said once or twice before, I started with a lot of store brand tools and worked my way up from there. I was quite often able to turn around and sell the store brand or the no-name tool that I had for enough money to make up the difference between what I paid for the new tool and the old one, or come really close. So that's always an option too. And quite often when you're starting out with a specialty tool and you aren't sure how much you will use, start with the cheapest and either wear that one out and sell it and then replace it with the absolute best you can afford. Especially when you're talking an electric tool that isn't contingent on a battery platform. So, second question comes from BBQ Homesteader over on MeWe. Have you ever used one of those one-handed reciprocating saws? So, this is a category of tools that's just starting to gain traction. The more power they can pack into these cordless tools in a more compact design, the more tools are going to shrink in size. So, first off, i got to say, I haven't used or tried any of the newer style one-handed reciprocating saws, but I have used in the past the one-handed electric hacksaws, and they're designed the same way. And they appear to only be getting better. My biggest complaint regarding reciprocating saws are the overall large size of them and the straight as an arrow nature of them. I'm consistently wanting to use a reciprocating saw in compact, tight environments. Last year I needed to get under floorboards and down between some rocks to cut out an old drain pipe, and I wrecked a recip blade because it kept fetching up and bending. These compact reciprocating saws are also known as mini recip saws. They really help in three main areas. First off, they're more compact. So they fit into tighter spaces. It's also ergonomically angled, which gives you more clearance when cutting things like pipe up between floor joists or cutting the floor joists out themselves. And finally, the one-handed nature of the product gives you significantly more flexibility and reach. When I'm in a tight spot, and need to use both hands on a resip saw. I can be uncomfortable or not even doable. So this helps me free up one hand to support myself or just reach further. And one final concern is going to be pricing. I did some quick price comparison to take a look, and the bare tools or the kits for both DeWalt and Milwaukee seem to be roughly the same price, whether you're going with a compact or the more traditional one. This is definitely an up-and-coming tool niche, and if you're looking at picking up a resip saw, this is probably a way to go, and it's definitely one I would do if I had to buy one over again. And the third question comes from Rod, uh, north of the border in Ontario, uh, from YouTube. He says, I'm thinking of installing laminate floor. Is this something I could likely do by myself without too much challenge? It's a square room in the basement, 15 by 15, fully carpeted. So I did some follow-up with Rod just to find out, and he is a beginner with this kind of stuff, but he wanted to get into it. So first off, laminate, it's definitely a project that most any beginner level handy person can handle. You'll need a bit of gear, some of which you may already have, and a bit you'll probably need to buy. If you already have a circular saw, or better yet, a chop saw, then go out and buy the absolute cheapest carbide blade you can get for it. It'll cut fine, especially if you cut through the back of the floor first, and when you're done, throw the darn thing away, because it won't be good for anything else. Then you're going to need to buy a laminate install kit, which comes with spacers, a tapping block, a hip pry bar, and buy the kit that also includes the rubber-covered hammer, It'll save your, the life of your tapping block and save you from overhitting and cracking the, uh, the joints or the, uh, the little lips. You're going to need a knife to cut the underpad with and tape to seal the joints. That's the basics you're going to need. I will include a video that shows the how-to basics so that I don't have to go into specifics here, but I'll share with you just a couple of quick tips. Start with a full piece, make a straight run across, cut the last piece to length, and then start your next row with the offcut from the first row so that you end up not wasting anything. The other important thing is to make sure all the joints are really tight and flush. Use the tap block to tap all connections into place after you hand fit them. Run your hand over every single connection to make sure there isn't a gap or a raised edge. A very small gap will get worse each row if you don't make sure they're all tapped into place early on. And finally, pick the thickest floor you can afford. I recommend at least a 10 mil, but even better is a 12 Especially where you're just beginning, it'll save you a lot of frustration, a lot of swearing, and a lot of wasted broken floor boards. You can absolutely do this, trust me. Just take your time, don't get frustrated. There's a good chance you're going to have to start over after a row or two, maybe four or five times. I know I do, even now, still. Because the most important part is making sure those first three rows are absolutely perfect. And if they are, the rest will all follow into place. So that's it for me for now, guys. If you want to follow what I do, I have three videos a week over on YouTube. I'm on the push to get to a 1,000 subs so I can get monetized. So if you don't mind dropping by and uh, just subscribing there, that would be absolutely great. And also, uh, speaking of Odyssey, <laughs> I just hit a 100 subscribers over there, and I'm doing an exclusive Saturday video on my Odyssey channel, more focused toward our preparedness community as well. The quickest way to find all my content is to go to toolmantim.co and click the links from there. So as always, guys, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great And I do
0: have links to all the stuff that Tim mentioned in the show notes for today's episode, which just as a quick reminder, if you're listening sometime in the future, episode 2815. You can always look up an episode uh, by subject with the search feature on the website at thesurvivalpodcast.com. It's pretty obvious that you could do that. But I will tell you what, if you know an episode number, because numbers turn up other ways, the best thing to do is search for, as though it's a single word, the word episode dash, the number. And if you do that, you'll go straight to that episode. Just a little uh, search hack when using the search feature at the dot podcast.com. Next up, I've got kind of the grab bag again from John Pugliano. This is on family sick leave credits, the second round of the PPP, which is the payroll protection uh, thing, and uh, a little bit more too. John, take it away. Hey, TSP, there's a couple COVID tax
5: relief items I want to cover for you, and these are primarily for small business owners, and especially for those of you that are set up as sole proprietorships or single-member LLCs. Several of these benefits that were part of the CARES Act relief package from last year have been carried over into 2021, and or you can file them now for your 2020 taxes. So I'm just gonna hit some highlights here. If you think this applies for you, do a little bit more research on your own, and then definitely talk to your CPA and see how you can maximize any of these benefits for your particular situation. So the first thing is the payroll protection plan. That's also known as the PPP draw. Now, not only has that been extended into 2021 with a second draw, But even if you didn't apply in 2020, you're still now eligible for the initial draw. And then if you qualify, you could get the second one. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up here. First of all, the deadline runs through March 31st. So you have about eight weeks to look into this and put it all together if you think it applies to you. Now, the first payroll protection plan draw was eligible to any of you small businesses that were impacted by COVID-19. And that definition of impacted is pretty loosey-goosey. Again, talk to your CPA and talk to the lending institution, which is really the the place, the bank, where you do your primary business checking. Talk to them. There was a lot of misconceptions and things that people didn't understand last year when all this was first rolled out. But the banks have really gotten a good handle on it, and the loan-making process has been very much streamlined. So as far as what it impacts is that this money is meant to be used to cover your payroll expenses. And some of that money can also be used for things like rent or utilities. And what it can include is up to two and a half months of your payroll. And that's even if it's just you as a side hustle, single member LLC, or doing business as, or any type of a. Sole proprietor, as long as you are set up as a tax-paying business entity, you potentially could be available for this. And remember that first round, the initial money that was put out last year, which is still available... The definition of that is that your business had to be negatively impacted or the uncertainty of COVID had to have impacted your business in a negative way. So, again, look into that. You may be eligible for up to two and a half months of payroll. Now, the other part of this is that it's been extended and there's a second program out. So even if you got paid for the first or if you haven't but you're going to apply for it, you can still potentially be paid for the second portion and the second draw it does have a limitation factor. Your business had to at least been impacted with top-line revenue being reduced by at least 25% in any one quarter of 2020 when compared to 2019. You know, most likely, if your business was impacted severely by COVID-19, you fit into that category. And again, the payroll protection plan on this is up to two and a half months of payroll. So go down to the financial institution where you do your business banking and talk to the loan officer there, and it could be likely that you're eligible for one or both of these payroll protection plans. Now, the other COVID-19 tax relief item that could impact your 2020 statement is for sick and family leave tax credits. As a small business owner, and again, this is even if you're just a sole proprietor or a single-member LLC, you could be eligible for up to $5,110 tax credit That's for personal sick leave. And then additionally, if you had to take family leave, that could potentially be as much as a $10,000 credit. Now, I don't have time to go into all the details here, but at a real high level, what it involves, as far as the sick leave, you could potentially be available for up to 10 days of sick leave. And that's if you had to self-quarantine, or you were exposed to COVID-19, or you actually became sick from COVID-19. These would potentially all be areas... That would qualify as this 10 day tax credit. And what that's going to be based on is your average daily income. And so if you look at your schedule C, line 31, that's your income for the year. And you divide that by 260. That's 52 weeks at 5 days a week. So take line 31 income, divide it by 260. That'll provide you with your average daily income. And then you can multiply that for as many days as you were sick up to 10 days, and then the average daily income has also been capped by $511 a day. And that comes out to roughly a little bit less than $133,000 a year. So if you're making $133,000 a year or less, approximately on your line 31, then you're going to be able to take your full daily income over up to 10 days that you've been sick and write that off as a tax credit. And then, obviously, if you make more than $133,000, well, you can still at least write off at least the $511 a day for up to 10 days. Now, on the family leave side, to get that tax credit, it's the same process of figuring out whatever your average daily income is. Now, the bad news is that the tax credit is only limited to $200 a day, but the good news is, is that you can take it for up to 50 days. So 50 days at up to $200 a day, that's where you get the potential for a $10,000 tax credit. And the way this works is it's for family leave. So if you had to stay home and take care of your spouse while they were sick with COVID, or if you had children that couldn't go to school and needed daycare and you had to stay home and take care of them, these are all incidences where you as a small business person could potentially be taking up to 50 days of family leave and writing that off as a full tax credit for year 2020. Now, remember, that the good part about this is, is that your business did not have to be impacted with a loss in revenue. You simply had to be either sick or you had to have a family member that was sick or a child that, because of the lockdowns, was forced to stay home and you had to take care of them. So I think that leaves a wide area where a lot of small business owners could qualify for this tax credit talk to your CPA. I believe it's reported on IRS Form 7202. Well, hey, as always, thanks for your questions. This is John Pugliano from Investable Wealth and the Wealth Studying Podcast.
0: Next up, I've got a short segment from Ben Falk on the uses for a tractor on a smaller homestead, somewhere in the five-acre range. Ben, take it away.
6: Hey, Jack and all. Ben Falk with Whole Systems Design. Question about the tractor what could you use a tractor on on a five acre homestead it really does depend where you are of course and, and goals i mean you gave me a little background but um i'll tell you what i use mine for and maybe that'll give you some ideas because you did ask that but but to be fair i'm not on a five acre homestead uh, i was on my 10 acre homestead that is in my book and now we're on a larger piece of land a lot of the time which is 175 acres and i do a lot of logging and kind of gardening of the forest to maintain my forest-less silviculture. So I'm using the tractor kind of all winter hauling logs and, and and logging, and I got a sawmill recently. So kind of doing all that, and the tractor's great for that. Um, it's not a skidder, but it's good. Uh, with a logging winch, you can really haul out 4,000 pounds of logs at once with a tractor that weighs about that much. I have a 55-horse Kubota, fifty-six horse, and um, it's too big for the ten horse for the ten acre homestead. It's also that's a steep piece of land, and that tractor's big for that. Basically, you want a small tractor for the woods and a big tractor for field work, um, and a small tractor if you're on steep ground. The flatter the ground, the bigger the tractor. So, I had a twenty-one horse for that ten acre homestead, and that was great. That's little, but it was good. It got everywhere, and um, that was really handy. I mean, they're diesel, you know, it's really a weight, the weight's limiting, not the horsepower. Um, You know, trenching, (laughs) if you put a backhoe on it, that's really great. I have a small excavator, so not gonna do that, but that's, you know, a tractor kinda can do almost everything badly. Some things good, but most things kinda not great compared to something specialized. But they kind of do everything. and You're not going to own that many pieces of equipment, ideally. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned some of the uses. I guess I'd add trenching, um, just material handling. I mean, you mentioned pallet forks. I'm always just moving stuff with the forks. Plowing snow, that's what I do a lot of right this time of year. I don't do much field work with it except for some mowing. And I, I sometimes till the established new perennials, but I don't till in the garden. Um I don't know that you need one, or won't necessarily should want one. Um a BCS two-wheel drive tractor is really awesome. Sometimes you can find them used, or a gravelly, gravely. Those are sweet too. So, but, you know, it sounds like you're ahead of the game. If you've already made everything to be done by hand, you know, it, the, everything you own owns you, so it, it might be better to not have something. I mean, I, I say that. With And I, I, I say that with a little bit of a kind of smirk because I, I do own a lot of stuff. But it also does own me. It's all maintenance. It all takes um, fluids unless it's electric, which I'm trying to move towards electric with everything. Like, you know, you fire up your chop saw or your circular saw or your table saw. It doesn't ever not start, right? I mean, these electric motors are amazing. They just, just when you keep them dry, keep them in a pretty dry space. They last decades with essentially no maintenance. Um, once you have an engine in something, it's really not the case. You got fluids still can last a long while, but you do have to have a much more mechanically oriented, um, way of being and also be on the maintenance and have, you know, be organized to do the maintenance or you can get some, you get a lot of work, um, caused. So yeah, but I mean, a tractor can, can do, so many things with the, with the implements on the back. Obviously, you could do any type of groundwork, just not all that well. Um, Stone work, yeah, it's like a powered wheelbarrow as you mentioned for a lot of things. So, sorry if I don't have you know a kind of clear and fast recommendation, but I would say you're ahead of the game if you don't need one, and if you're doing, if you're meeting your goals and you don't have a tractor, then don't get one. <laughs> but um, if it's really cheap or someone's given you one, maybe you'll come up with some new uses that you realized, oh, I'm really glad now that I do these things. Um, but it doesn't sound like there's too much reasoning you need to get a tractor for. Um, that being said, I have a tractor and I'm glad I do. I kind of need one, but maybe our situation's quite different. So good luck. Thanks
0: good stuff and now I want to take you back to uh the end of September beginning of October I'm not sure I posted it on the blog on October 1st 2012 but I think I did the video a few days before that uh I I downloaded this video today and uploaded it as a new video onto my Odyssey channel uh, I will have a link to that in the show notes if you want to actually share the video um but this is from 2012 which is now what 8 plus you almost nine years ago, depending on eight and a half years ago is when this, this was done. And again, this was in response to main prepper. Um, I'm going to cut a little bit off the end of it. I just want you to know the video itself got chopped on me. Like the thing just stopped recording. And I, I, I think I'm pretty nice to main prepper throughout this whole thing. I don't, some people I think that were fanboys or whatever took it the wrong way. I tried to be very clear about that. And as I, as the part that I'm cutting off here for the brevity for the podcast, I went into that further, further explaining how much respect I have for the man. So this was a difference of opinion on the most probable outcome. It wasn't a condemnation of the advice, which I I really, in this this video, tried to reiterate how much I agreed with the advice for those instances. I just see the instances of without rule of law um, being isolated versus everywhere and excessive rule of law being the ominous thing all over the place. And 2020 was this prediction, and it still is, and it's going to be, again, and I think there will be more riots and more problems. I think there will be riots in 2021 that might make some of the stuff that happened in 2020 look like a day at Disneyland. I won't get into why today. But I want to point out, one of the things I was stressing here with excessive rule of law is the belief that preppers have that when there's a without rule of law, you'll be able to just defend yourself may not be the case because there might be not enough law to suppress the scum from rioting and burning and looting, etc., but enough law to arrest you if you should dare to defend yourself. And just think about the couple in Missouri who didn't even shoot anybody. They just pointed guns at people and said, stay off our property, don't destroy our house being prosecuted. And this is only going to get more true. And when you listen to this, this should make your hair on your neck stand on end. With that, here we go. Kind of a rewind, but not a rewind episode, all the way back to 2012, the fall of 2012. Hi, folks. This is uh, Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast with a pretty serious video today. Uh, this weekend on the Zello Network that we have, we have a channel set up there where a lot of the listeners of the audience get together and talk about preparedness and other things and honestly look out after each other. Um, I I was on there this weekend, and I heard about a video from a guy named Maine Prepper, who I've heard of before, uh, who had a new video that's kind of gone viral, gotten like seventy or 80,000 views or something at that point. And uh, when it was described to me, I thought, this guy's probably off his rocker. And I excused myself from the conversation on the network and logged off and went and watched and came back. And um, I don't think he's off his rocker, but I do think he's wrong in a way. Um, let's, let's start out with where he's right, where he's right is his description of combat. It's as accurate as anybody can possibly try to explain combat to a person who's never seen or experienced anything like it. Um, his assessment of movies like Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers as being the closest thing that you can look at and see what real combat's like. Dead on. His assertion that the United States government's lying to you when they tell you that our enemies are cowards because they won't come out and fight like a man and things like that, spot on. Fighting from uh, behind cover, uh, using improvised devices, etc., is a pretty good description of the way that Washington fought the Revolutionary War using a combination of regulars known as the Continentals and a combination of irregulars known as the militia. The United States foundational war of independence is really a great blueprint. Uh, and used often by many uh, across the world, including people that don't like us, for how you fight a guerrilla war. It's, it's not cowardly to fight from cover. Uh, one of the most glorified uh, warriors that we have in our military today is who? The sniper. Do snipers come out and fight like a man or do they fire from cover a thousand yards away? And, and we'll have the audacity to look at uh, a person fighting for their homeland. Whether we agree with them or not, that's what they're doing. Whether we think they should be in charge or not, that's what they're doing and say that they're wrong to do that when it's okay for us to do that. I mean, this was all spot on. The concept that some of you guys out there are investing thousands of dollars in kitted-up handguns and you don't have a good uh, home defense weapon, a good battle rifle, spot on. The fact that people have you know $1,000 scopes on a rifle that aren't even zeroed in and, and won't do you any good if you ever need to use it, spot on. The fact that you should buy a good basic rifle, buy ammunition, train it, run it, and learn how to do it, spot on. The the problem is the belief that there's only one scenario that we're headed to, and statements that main prepper made like, when the lights go out and stay out, and I'm 100% sure they will. um, I have a problem when anybody's 100% sure of anything, because you're trying to say that you know the future and you don't. And the problem with preparing for a without rule of law scenario, to the exclusion of anything else, is that you're only planning for failure. It's like buying life insurance and then only planning to die. How is your wife going to pay the mortgage since you don't have a job next week? Well, when I die, she'll get the insurance money. It's not a good answer unless you somehow know that you're going to die or are about to arrange your own death. So when we buy life insurance, we plan both to live and to die, and if we're smart, we plan to be very successful in life and what we're going to fall back on if we're not so successful. We plan to stay healthy and we plan for if we're disabled. We have multiple contingencies. And the concept that we are going to exist in this nation, in its current state, sea to shining sea, border to border, one end to the other, 100% without rule of law, is absolutely asinine in all but the one in 100 billion possible scenarios. If the sun creates a coronal mass ejection, ejection that's just perfect and hits the grid just perfect, maybe. If we get a global pandemic with a 70% death rate, maybe. If we get a coordinated multiple EMP strike by multiple enemies in this country done in the perfect one in a million shot, maybe. And it's still not going to be that way because power vacuums are always filled. But the big thing that most people are actually concerned about right now, as far as the collapse of this government, myself included, are the economy. We look at a $16 trillion debt that will be a $22 trillion debt in four years, no matter who's president. We look at unfunded liabilities of our government crossing $222 trillion dollars. And we intrinsically know that this game cannot be played forever. This can can only be kicked so long. We have quantitative easy infinity now. I think it will work, but only for a time, and it's designed to prepare for a collapse, to help the banks, the Federal Reserve, and the government prepare for the coming collapse of the dollar. And I think that, what people say, the lights are going to go out now, that's the most realistic scenario that people have in mind. The problem with it is it is it takes out all the contingencies that the government has. All the things the government can do. The fact that the biggest prepper around right now, even though sometimes they come out with statements that tell you to prepare, and then they come out and double talk the next day and say if you're preparing too much you might be a terrorist, it's like a bad redneck joke. But the biggest prepper on planet Earth today is the United States federal government. They're more prepared than we realize. Now, they're not prepared to take care of you. And this is a place where I've got to be very specific with you. And I really want you to get this. And I don't want to hear stupid, smart-ass remarks in the comment section about not understanding it. Because I understand it. I live and breathe it. I've done this for four years now. Researching the history and the future. And what the two things tell us. What most people fail to understand is that when you tell somebody, well, you expect it to be here, and it's not going to be that bad, that you're saying it's all going to be sunshine, roses, unicorns, and angel farts. It's not. It's going to be very dark, very bad, and very oppressive, and there will be pockets of without rule of law for different periods of time, and you better listen to main prepper, and you better be prepared to deal with those. But if that's all you're prepared to deal with, you are flat out screwed. Let me just put it to you that way. Let me give you some contingencies that your government has created, and it's all part of what's called continuity of government, to make sure when these things fall apart that the government apparatus stays in place. Right now, there are tens of thousands of drones being built to occupy space over U.S. air. These drones can tell the government what you're doing, where you're at, monitor situations that could be weaponized if they wanted to like that. Our government is building a 1 million square foot data center to be overseen by the NSA, the spook organization nobody uh, really even talks about. Everybody talks about the the CIA and the FBI. Well, the NSA is building a million square foot data center. It is just to hold information. A million square feet is bigger than the United States Capitol building. That information is information about you and me and everybody else in this country. It's not information about what somebody's doing overseas in a cave who supposedly plans to blow us up. Do you know that the National Guard and the State, uh, the, and the Guard of Alaska, the two National Guards and Reserve Forces of, the, of Alaska and Texas, when you really look at their combined firepower and how much destruction that they could do in a short period of time, basically have more firepower than the entire Nazi Germany, army of World War II? Just two states. And unlike the Nazis, they don't have to go up against other people that have tanks and other people that have planes and other people that have bombers. They only have to go against rioters in the street. Please think about that. Federal law enforcement has been training, absolutely training our local, state, law enforcement officials heavily in concepts about how to control crowds, how to do selective enforcement. All of these things grow for over a decade now. They've been doing it a lot longer than that, but they've been doing it in earnest for a decade. There's... Again, there's a program called the continuity of government that's specifically designed that if there's nuclear war to keep the government in place. So you don't think the government that, can, that has a plan to stay in force during a nuclear war has a plan to stay in force if they have to devalue the dollar by 75% and screw you over and piss you off? You don't think they have a plan for that? There's other things. One thing that was just passed. This is a new thing. And if you think any of this is conspiracy theory, I defy you to do any kind of earnest research with it and find that it's not true. This is all publicly available information I'm giving you. The NDAA gives the government the power to indefinitely detain U.S. citizens without a trial. Anybody they see is a terrorist. Now, in times of national emergency, something that's not terrorism becomes terrorism because somebody says so. And then Executive Order 13603 was lied about. And I hate when people lie about things. Obama did this so they could seize property, seize resources, seize companies, seize, seize, seize. Bullshit. Obama reauthorized it and changed the people in charge of doing it. It's been on the books since the Security Act of 1950, and its real genesis goes all the way back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and the government has, since the 1930s, had the power to seize entire stockpiles of fuel or money or anything that they want. They have this power. I'm not saying whether they should or shouldn't, I'll let that, you be the judge of that. I'm saying they have all of these things, and I could do a laundry list of a thousand more things at the tip of their fingers at their disposal. And we're supposed to believe that when the economy collapses, or whatever goes wrong that we're preparing for, they'll just all leave. They'll be like the James Wesley Rawls book, the president, the Congress, they'll just went so we don't go away. They went to Belgium or China or whatever, and they just want this giant power vacuum and some some idiot in Tennessee becomes the new premier or whatever. This is nonsense. These people aren't gonna go away. They're not gonna leave. The financial elite and the people running this government, they're not going to leave. They'll use every single thing at their disposal to maintain control and maintain power. And instead of worrying about without rule of law, you better worry about excessive rule of law. You better prepare to be self-sufficient and self-reliant and work with others and solve problems. Because if you don't solve the problems in your community, the government will help you and solve them for you. This is the world that we're headed for. Not no law enforcement, excessive law enforcement, selective law enforcement. You don't build a police state and then not use it. You don't train thousands of men that are actually good, decent men to act like jackbooted thugs on command and then not have them put the boot on a person's throat when it suits you to stay in power. You don't prepare for this and then not go off on your plan when it occurs. They're preparing. They're preparing a lot. That's why you better be prepared. Yes, you better be prepared to deal with the fact that this economic breakdown will probably be like what happened in Argentina or the Soviet Union times 10 because it's bigger. But don't fall for the big lie. The big lie is this is different than any time in history. Yeah, but it's not different for all the reason that people want to sell you another pallet of food or another 10 gold coins, tell you. It's not different. It's not like, well, look at, look at, how many times have you heard about the Weimar Republic in Nazi Germany and hyperinflation? Do they tell you that it only lasted three years and there was a decade following the hyperinflation known as the Golden Era? And what knocked off the Golden Era of the Weimar Republic was the United States going into the Great Depression that spawned a global depression and the global depression empowered a, a government that rose up and started a war that put the entire world in the war? Do they tell you the whole story? Or just the hyperinflation story? Just enough to ask you for your MasterCard money to get another gold coin. That's what they tell you. It's selective historical reading. Even the people telling you the truth are only telling you the selective components of the truth that the mainstream leaves out to further their agenda. The reality is every time a government's fallen, a government's rebuilt. Every time a government's fallen and a power vacuum has occurred, it's created rioting. All the way back to when there was no such thing as a car, no such thing as electricity, no such thing as a firearm, and whether it was a boot, a gun, or a sword, it went on the throat of anybody that got in the way of the power vacuum being filled. Governments do not let a crisis go to waste, in the words of Rahm Emanuel, and they won't. If anything I've told you today sounds conspiratorial or nutjobbish, no, know that I think Alex Jones is a loon. He thinks these things are being done so that they can make this stuff happen. This stuff is not being done so they can make anything happen. This stuff is being done because they've already screwed it up bad enough. It's the only thing that can happen. And tyrants do not relinquish control because of problems. They use the problems to increase tyranny. It's happened every time in history the lights will go out in some places and they'll come back on. And they'll make a deal with you. If you shut up and be a good little boy, we'll leave them on. That's the type of thing that you're going to deal with. There'll be places where, yeah, you better be prepared. And I think you can learn a lot from Main Prepper's video. But if what you take away from it is only prepare for without rule of law, you're going to be sadly mistaken. You need to prepare for all contingencies. And I'm telling you, the contingency of tyranny and a rising police state during riots and pandemonium during a giant economic shift that leads to a new economic paradigm is a hell of a lot more likely than only 3 million people be. Listen to the video. 3 million people will be left. Out of 300 million, it'll be 3 million of the most cutthroats and the preppers. And the 3 million will come after us and it'll be like freaking, you know, I don't know, zombie arm again, apocalypse now, red dawn and broad war all at the same time. Even in the Balkan Wars, and I've interviewed Selko from Shit at the Fan School, who lived through and survived the Balkan Wars. Even in the Balkan Wars, it was pockets of this. There was still commerce, there was still exchange. And that was a civil war, not an economic collapse. You want to know what an economic collapse is like? Talk to people that dealt with one. Talk to Fernando Aguirre. Talk to friends like I have, Valerie Asanov, it was a member of the KGB. In the Soviet Union, when the Soviet Union collapsed, and said, I had two choices, Jack. I could either leave, or I could join the new Russian Mafia, because no one else would have anything to do with me once they knew what I was. And I'm not a bad guy, in spite of what you've been told about me. And I didn't want to join the Mafia. So I left. This is the reality facing America. Yes, it will be worse, but it will also be the same. Every time somebody's preached doomsday, whether it's the the, the second coming or anything else, you've been told something that's true and a lie at the same time. It's different this time. It's different. It's always different because it's a different time in history. But it's also always the same. Human dynamics are the same. Governmental dynamics are the same. And those that are ruthless and in power behave in the same way. We have no reason to believe that they'll do anything different this time around. Please be prepared for all contingencies. Look after each other. Take care of each other. Don't just prepare for warfare. Prepare to deal with a new reality. Mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, however you have to. Be prepared to feed yourself. Be prepared to look after and feed your neighbor. If you can't do that, there's no way we're going to come out of the other side of this, okay? But if you can, this... Failure of the system can be what we hope it is an opportunity. And let me tell you here as I close why. So important you understand why. That people want to gravitate to this fantasy that seems so much worse uh, without rule of law, complete breakdown. They look at everything I've told you about and they know it's so horrible and so wrong. And they look at the mathematics of the numbers on the debt and they know it's wrong. And they look at everything and they go, it has to fail. And it's more horrifying to think about it failing and coming back together in some type of Terminator fashion and being worse. Remember the Terminator that would just get shattered into bits and then reconstitute itself? It's more horrifying to actually accept what I'm telling you for some people than to accept a complete and total breakdown. Because at least in a complete and total breakdown, it's you and the enemy. You have an even hand, a fighting chance. Don't prepare to have an even hand, a fighting chance, just because you have enough ammo, bullets, guns, training, medical supplies, and food. Be prepared to have no fair chance, no fair advantage, to be dealing with a superior enemy at all times, and one that's much more sophisticated than one that will just shoot at you. One that will take your liberty, take your wealth, step on your throat, and expect that you will thank them for it. That's what's going to happen. Because it's what's always happened. I just think I'll let that stick stand for itself. It's what's going to happen because it's always what's happened. And they'll step on your throat and expect you to thank them for it. If that doesn't describe 2020, 2021, I don't know what window you're looking out of. With that, let me uh, remind you guys, if you like this show and you want to support the work that we do, the best way to do that is become a member of the MSB. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members and sign up there. Remember, I also take cryptocurrency. I take credit cards, debit cards, etc., however you want to pay. Your membership will more than pay for itself. I hear from multiple people every week saying, hey, man... Um, I know, I even have sometimes when I run a sale, guys like, you know, I need to renew. I, I'm not even going to take your sale price. I feel guilty because that's how good a deal MSB really is. Check it out. Uh, thesurvivalpodcast.com forward slash, uh, I'm sorry, thesurvivalpodcast.com and just click on members. The other way you can help us out is do your online shopping at com. I do not have a uh, item of the day for you today. I just, I had so much to put out today. I just kind of ran out of time. Uh, so I, I I'm just gonna remind you as always you can always help us out by doing your online shopping where tspaz.com, tspaz dot com t s p a z tspaz dot com. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day today. This is a it's a really good one, but it's you know when you hear who it's by, if you like country music, especially if you uh, listen to country music like from the '80s late '80s forward, you're gonna be like, well, of course it's good. Uh, it's called Cold Beer Conversations, and it's by George Strait. It's one of his latest releases. Uh, I believe the entire album was actually named after this song, Cold Beer Conversations. Um, but George Strait's that guy that I think if they had someone sing, like they got a phone book from the 90s, they don't have phone books anymore. Um, and if they sing the phone book, he'd probably still have a top 40 hit minimum. Uh, he's just got that sound, and he's just that guy. Uh, but I love this song because he said of it how many times have you sat down and, and really discussed life over a couple of cold beers with your friends and man that's that's so true trying to figure out life trying to figure out women trying to figure things out period just enjoying each other and there is something i don't know exactly what it is and i'm not talking about drinking till you're stupid right there is something about some good friends Sitting down and having a conversation that's great, but a full, a few cold beers added to it just makes it better. And you know what? We talked about some heavy shit here at the end with that video from me from eight years ago. And it's going to get worse. But there's going to be opportunities as well. There's going to be hope as well. I don't want to leave you without that. And one of the ways that we stay optimistic, number one, going back to our quote today, if the only prayer you ever say and your entire life is thank you, it will be good enough. And the other way is to realize the value of the community and people that we have around us. And every once in a while, sitting down with a few of your friends, having a few cold beers and a conversation, is a great way to do just that. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
7: You ever feel like you're standing in blue? going no. Yeah, man, me too Busting your butt Just trying to get ahead Wind up tasting a little dust instead Buddy, I swear That pretty thing of mine Don't ask for much But I'd be alive And if I said I didn't want to give her Everything that shines Come on Conversations, just a couple old boys, a little time well wasted. Trying to figure out life, trying to figure out girls, trying to find our place in this crazy old world. A little truth, a little frustration, cold conversation. Those Friday night lights Wouldn't you like to bust through That paper one more time Brother, my folks Are getting up there in years Mama still thinks The devil's in here Now tell me, buddy Don't you ever wish We could work a little less Catch a few more fish Yeah, maybe one day when we both try to get rich, Cold beer, conversation. Just a couple old boys, a little time well wasted. Trying to figure out life, trying to figure out girls, trying to find that place in this crazy old world. A little truth, a little frustration. Conversation. We can sit here all night trying to make it make sense. A little buzz is probably all we're gonna get, but that's alright. Cold beer conversation. Couple old boys, a little time well wasted. Trying to figure out life, trying to figure out girls, trying to find our place in this crazy old world. A little truth, a little frustration. It's just us, man. Go on and say it. Cold beer, conversation.